Amen. Hello, Real Life Church. It's lovely to be with you again. Just give me a wave if you can hear me. That would help me. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, adverse to talking to myself, but I wouldn't mind knowing that you can still hear me. Uh, we loved celebrating with you last week. If we haven't met yet, I'm, I'm Melanie. I'm married to Stuart. Um, and I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church. So um, last weekend we celebrated our 10th birthday. We just had so much fun with you all. So thank you for engaging with it, joining in, celebrating with us. Thanks for all your stories. Like it was incredible. And one of the things we said in our 10th year is that we wanted to, throughout the year, keep on celebrating. So we've got 10 lots of strawberry related items that are doing the rounds so things like this this appeared in our garden yesterday so things like this are appearing in gardens and driveways and porches all around Sutton and the idea is you 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 read it you read the little message you smile a bit you then hide it somewhere else you take a photo of it you post it on social media so we're using the hashtag uh, real life we are 10 so um, you just pass it on there are a couple of these that are breakable so I do want to say if you happen to break one of them please don't worry there's only two in amongst the crew that are breaking well actually now there's only one so there's only one that is breakable so please don't worry the rest of them are either squishy or soft or made of wood so please don't worry the idea is Snap a few photos, post it on social media and pass it on. We are hoping in our 10th year, these things will do the rounds and they will go in and out of homes that are part of Real Life Church, but also in and out of homes of our friends. And it will be all over social media. That's what we're hoping. So please have some fun with them. Please don't worry too much about the state of them by the time you get them. So there are 10 of these things out there. I've been watching on Instagram, Facebook. There's loads of photos going up and it is such fun to see those creative places that people are hiding them and photographing them it's been such fun to watch so keep those going we also said that we would launch a challenge once a month based around the number 10 so this month is valentine's day so i don't know whether you know that i'm just letting you know Stuart. 14th of February, this Sunday coming, all right, is Valentine's Day. My expectations are that a thoughtful gift will hit my, you know, person. Um, something maybe sparkly to wear, just, just a thought. Um, so it's Valentine's Day this Sunday. And some of you are groaning because you don't love Valentine's Day or you haven't got someone that you want to send something to. So I'm about to make your day because I want to open this thing up. I do believe as the people of God that we should redeem things or take hold of opportunities and make the most out of them. Valentine's Day is an opportunity for us to express something of what God is brilliant at, and that is loving people. So I honestly believe that in real life church, we should excel in this holiday. We should excel at letting people know we love them. So we're going to launch the £10 challenge. So the £10 challenge, and it's up to you. These challenges will do one a month. And if you don't like the sound of the challenge, don't do it. If you like the sound of the challenge, go for it. This is the £10 challenge. So grown-ups, I would love you this month to take a £10 note 
and express in some way, shape or form that you love someone. And it might be a friend, it might be a spouse, it might be someone that you just think, I just want to let you know that I love you and I think you're fantastic. These are some of my ideas. So you might um, send someone a book that just says, I just want to encourage you. I just want to bless you. I just, so via Amazon, I've spent a few pounds and I'm sending you a book. I ordered this book this week, The Little Book of Lent. Loads of little Lent readings all the way up to Easter. You might pick something like that and think, well, I'm just going to send something to just bless someone. You could buy one of the £10 meal deals and drop it off on someone's doorstep with a little note on it that just says, I love you, I think you're fantastic, have a meal on me. You could get a nice bottle of wine, drop it on someone's doorstep and say, instead of a strawberry, I'm giving you a bottle of red and I love you and I think you're amazing. You might grab a bunch of flowers, drop it on someone's doorstep. You might take your £10 and split it up into 10 £1 coins and buy 10 bars of chocolate and dish them out to 10 of your friends with notes on just saying, I just think you're fantastic. I just wanted you to know. You might take someone out for a Costa. So you might say, actually, on my walk, on my bit of exercise, I'm going to grab you a drink. I'm going to meet you in the park and I'm just going to walk with you. Let me know what your favorite drink is. I just want you to know that I love you and I think you're amazing. You might email someone a Costa voucher or a coffee shop voucher and just say, I just think you're incredible go and have a walk, go and have a Costa on me. In some way, shape or form, we would love you to express something of your love, the love that you've received from God that you can just freely kind of give away. We'd love you to express that in some way, shape or form. If you're on the receiving end of it and you fancy snapping a photo and using the hashtag real life, we are 10 brilliant and say, actually this month, someone said to me, I love you, think you're amazing. That's great. But we would love there to be loads and loads of tokens of love going out there. We also, because we feel like God really should have the monopoly on love. He does have the monopoly on love, but we feel like we should express that and show that. So we'd love you to have a go at filling your window with things in the shape of a heart. So Bryony's put together a brilliant video that I'm going to get out there on Monday of how to make some things to go in your window so that you can just express something of the love of God through art, through your windows. So that's something I've already done it because I got a bit excited and a bit carried away. So I've already done it and I've already had comments of people saying when they walk up to the drive to deliver things saying, I love your windows. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just a bit of a sucker for love. So I've, I just want it every Everywhere. I just want to express it in some way, shape or form. So we're going to get a video out there on Monday. We're going to get a few ideas out there for you. And then real life kids and real life youth are going to Zoom with us on Valentine's Day in the morning. And Bryony's going to join us and she's going to show them how to make some heart shaped stamps. And they're going to have a go at stamping out some cards and writing some notes for some people that they're going to give away, deliver, post. And so we would just love it if we could fill our worlds with love, if we could just get that message out there that not only 
um, is love an amazing thing. But God loves you. We love you. So we just love to get that out there. So you might have a go at the £10 challenge. You might have a go at filling your window. You might have kids and you think, oh, I'm going to help them make some cards and we're going to get them out there. What, whatever it is you want to do, we would love you to this month take on the £10 challenge. So make something, buy something, get it out there that God loves you and we love you. And it might be that this just begins a journey for someone. It might just be that in that moment, that was exactly what someone wanted to hear. I know there have been times in lockdown where a well-timed card message book has really spoken to me and really ministered to me. So don't underestimate the power of these little things. So um, I think that's it from me. I think it's my turn to hand over to Andy and Heather. We want to recognise you, Andy and Heather, tonight as a gift to us. And so we see you as people who are uh, loving Jesus and striding out there with him. But for us in Real Life Church, we recognise you as a gift and we want to receive you tonight as gifts and we want to listen with our hearts and our ears wide open through what the spirit of God might say to us through you we love your gift we love your courage we we love your heart and we want to say to you that we are ready open willing we want to hear all that you've got for us so Andy and Heather please take it away thanks Mel hi real life really good to be with you we enjoyed connecting last Sunday to celebrate your 10-year anniversary and we're happy we can be here a week later. So just a brief update from our part of the world. Uh, We've had an encouraging few days haven't we? We have. So this weekend we've spent some time with some local people, um, the people we've been getting to know for a while and we just feel like friendships developing. Um, So yes it's just been encouraging that we've had that opportunity Because we're online, we're not going to say a lot more, Um, but in terms of what we're here for, a lot of it looks like personal interaction, getting to know people in our area, praying, praying for God to open up people's hearts. And some of the people we've been getting to know uh, are from this city, but they have good English, so that helps us. We're still trying to learn language, and uh, that's slow and hard for us, but we're pushing on. Um, In terms of praying for us, um, it will be a similar list every time we do this because that's the nature of the work. But praying we do uh, get further in language, praying that God does connect us with people who are open. Um, There's two other families with us who are part of our network of churches. Uh, We just had a team meeting this evening together, worshipping, praying. Um, So that was encouraging to be able to do that. Um, It's In terms of the virus here, uh, it's spreading quite a lot, but there's no lockdown. Um, Countries like this don't have the finances to shut their economy. Um, So last year they did a lockdown for a while, but even during that lockdown, the city was buzzing. There were minibuses full of people going to work um, because uh, even though they try to encourage people to stay at home, many people were saying, if I don't work, I'm going to starve. So I'll risk getting the virus. And that would be true of so many countries in this part of the world. Um, So we feel kind of okay um, here. We're having to be careful because the disease is spreading. So we're trying to limit 
people that we see in terms of uh, only meeting people outside, not going into people's homes too much. Um, one hard thing is we don't know when we'll get back to see our family. Um, we were hoping we'd be back. We were back last summer. Uh, we were hoping we'd have another trip round about now, but that's not going to happen for a while. Obviously, we could come back, but with current rules, we wouldn't be able to see all of our family, which is hard. Um, so that's tough. Um, but prayer for language, prayer for ongoing relationships, and prayer that God just keeps sustaining us. Um, because even though lockdown here looks different, we can relate to the same things you're feeling. The uncertainties, the not knowing when normal, if normal's ever going to come back, missing key relationships. Um, and sometimes uh, the distance feels even greater and the isolation feels greater. God is with us. He's helping us. But please make that a prayer for us. We're going to look at God's word uh, together now. Um, I'm going to carry on the series. I'll just move this round. Um, I'm going to carry on the series of uh, stories that Jesus told. And we're in Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible or an alternative screen, you can follow that on. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Um, we'll read through it and make some comments as we go. Um, but Matthew 18, and this is the story uh, which we call uh, in our Bibles, the unforgiving servant. And it's, it's an, an amazing, powerful story, which is extremely relevant. And I think tonight we'll see um, even more how important and relevant this is. Um, it's not going to be one of those messages to kind of encourage and lift our hearts and lift our spirits in times of a global pandemic. Um, it's a great story and God will meet us and help us. Um, but there's challenge in this story. Let's just pray. Father, thank you we can be together. We long for the time we can all be in the same room. But thank you we can connect on the screen. Thank you that your presence has never been defined by boundaries. Your presence has never been defined by uh, closed doors or what governments decide or how things work in our communities. You are a God who comes to us by your spirit. And Jesus, you said where two or three gather, you are with them. Um, and Jesus, I thank you that's true tonight. As we turn to your word, I pray for revelation. Those of us who know this story well, um, still speak to us, Lord. Make it live to our hearts again. And it's power and it's truth. Uh, those of us who need to hear this because healing is needed, because these words need to bring life to us, need to lift us and help us, because... Um, like Peter in this story when he says, how many times do I forgive? Lord, some of us uh, on this screen tonight, some of us gathering tonight, we could ask that question. How many times do we forgive? So I pray that this won't only be a word which is instructive and helps us understand what Matthew is saying, but there'd be life, power, love and grace flooding our hearts. And if you agree with that, you can say amen. You're all muted, but I want you to say it anyway. Thanks, everyone. I'm just going to set a little bit of context for this rather than just go straight into the story, because the way the gospel writers uh, put everything together, they put stories uh, together with other stories or with some of Jesus's teaching for a reason. So Matthew, he wasn't thinking in chapters. This was all one book, but he was thinking in sections. He was thinking 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, but what words of Jesus to connect with certain events. And all of these things uh, in this chapter do kind of hang together with a theme. Jesus is actually uh, beginning to teach about the church in this passage. Um, and it comes about because right at the beginning, we're not going to read it, but right at the beginning, the disciples have one of those embarrassing conversations, which we like to laugh at. But actually, probably if we were there, we'd, we'd be very interested in what they were asking. Because they say to Jesus, look, who's the greatest? Which one's the greatest? Um, because really, they're asking which one of them will be the greatest. And uh, which one does Jesus think is the best on all of this? And Jesus does something remarkable. Because he decides to use this as a teaching opportunity about the kingdom, his kingdom, about him being the king. And he gets a child and he says, look, unless you're like a child, unless you're trusting like a child, um, unless you're open like a child, um, unless you're humble like a child, um, then you're not going to be the greatest. The greatest is the least. And it was a humbling moment and an embarrassing moment for the disciples because that was the last answer they expected. Everyone would love children in those communities. Everyone would think children are important. The next generation, that's how the parents are going to get cared for, etc. So it's not that children were looked down on, but children weren't given social status. They weren't the honourable ones in the crowd. The disciples thought they were. And they knew Jesus was, but the disciples thought, hey, we're your followers, Jesus. We're listening to what you're saying. Um, we've left our jobs to follow you. So uh, which one's the greatest then? And Jesus just looks at them and is like, well, you're certainly not the greatest, and gets a child and says, look, unless you're like this, then you're not going to know what greatness is. And then he starts saying how important the children are so important that if anyone calls them to sin, if anyone causes them to have a problem or leads them in wrong ways, then that's going to be terrible. And this leads Jesus on to the subject of sin and evil and wickedness and how his new community in the kingdom should handle sin. And actually, although he's talking about Jesus, sorry, although he's talking about the children and who causes them to sin, he's just said that the disciples should be like children. So he's actually beginning to say, you shouldn't cause each other to sin. But your love for each other and humility and servanthood in the kingdom means you shouldn't cause each other to sin. Um, and he goes on to then say, what happens if someone does sin against you? If someone offends you, how do you resolve it? And he's beginning to teach about relationships in the church and how we should handle sin in the church. So then it gets to our story. In verse 21, Peter has this question. He's listened to Jesus talk about being young and humble and trusting is what makes greatness. We mustn't cause one another to sin, which leads beautifully into this question, which Peter, as ever, the spokesman, the self-elected big mouth, is the first to speak. And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? Peter thinks he's giving a holy number. Seven was kind of like a sign of completeness. Um, so it's not just a random number. It meant something. Peter's answer, Jesus' answer, is stunning. Jesus answered, I'll tell you, not seven, but 70 times seven. 
Now, Jesus isn't talking about 490. What Jesus is saying is you keep on forgiving. That's what those numbers meant. That's how they were understood. 70 times 7. You keep forgiving. Endless forgiving. You keep on going. This, if we pause and think about it, is pretty difficult. What Jesus is telling us in this teaching and then in the story he's going to tell is actually pretty hard. Some of you know what it's like to be sinned against. Can happen at work. Can happen in the family. Maybe it can be happening in your family at the moment. And you think, well, I can forgive someone once. Maybe I can forgive them twice. But if they keep hurting me, surely enough is enough. Surely there's a time where I say no more forgiveness. Surely there's a time for saying until this changes, until something is done, or until my heart is whole. Jesus doesn't go there. Now he's going to teach about how we can experience healing. But first he says endless forgiveness. <clears throat> and this would have been radical in that culture. In fact, the idea of revenge, the idea of if someone hurts you, if someone sins against you, if someone dishonors you, these cultures and where we're living here, it's, it's true here, talk a lot about honor and shame. It's a very group-focused culture. And if someone in the group shames you by offending you or uh, speaking against your reputation, it's expected that the way you'd restore your honor is by taking revenge. You would then slander that person. You would then do something against them. And it just turns into a cycle of wickedness and evil. For us in the West, a bit more individualistic, if someone hurts us, depending on how we're feeling or what our relationship is to that person, we may just go quiet on them and not speak to them. Or we may want to hurt them back. Or if, they've, if it's in a work situation and they've gossiped about us, we might want to gossip about them. So we understand revenge. It's different kind of words than what it is in Jesus's culture, but we understand revenge. <clears throat> and so what Jesus is teaching here is actually counter to the culture. It was shocking for people to hear this. You don't forgive someone. You shame them. You take revenge. <clears throat> and of course, this is even harder when two people sin against us. It can be even harder when it's in the church, when a leader hurts us or one of our friends in the church hurts us because the church is meant to be a place of love. It's meant to be a place of grace, a place of acceptance. So it can be even harder to forgive when it is a brother and sister in Christ. But this is what Jesus is teaching into. But there's a bit of background that helps us understand even more the power of what he's saying with this limitless forgiveness. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, to the story uh, of Adam and Eve, where sin first comes into the garden, because Adam and Eve listen to Satan and they eat from the wrong tree, the tree that God told them not to, and they're cast out from God's presence, all of creation is judged, and sin comes into the world. God had said to them, if you eat from the wrong tree, death will come. And we begin to see what that means in Adam and Eve's family. Because in the next story, with their sons, Cain and Abel, 
they make sacrifices to God. God favours able sacrifice because it's more costly. It's more worshipful. He's put his heart into it, whereas Cain hasn't. And Cain is jealous that God accepts his brother's sacrifice, but not his. <clears throat> and so he ends up killing his brother. He wants to remove the shame. My brother has shamed me. God favours him. Well, I'm going to kill him, and then God will have to favour me, because there's only one of us left. And you read in the story about how God judges Cain. And God, part of the judgment on Cain is there will always be revenge for evil in his life. There will always be a cycle of evil. Because God says to him, whenever someone harms him, there will be revenge up to seven times. This is important. So Cain will always be taking revenge, taking revenge, taking revenge. He's never going to break this cycle of evil. Then a few generations later, in Genesis chapter 4, we read a story of obviously one of Adam's descendants called Lamech. And a young man hurts him. And Lamech kills him. He takes his life. And Lamech says this. It's in Genesis 4, verse 24. When he's talking to uh, his community, he says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So that links directly to what Jesus is saying. What Genesis is teaching us is death and sin have come into the world. And in Adam and Eve's family, in the next generation, death comes. And that's going to be revenged. Or Cain's going to be revenged seven times. And it will keep on being avenged. Every evil that happens to Cain, he will avenge seven times. The cycle of evil is increasing. One sin in the garden, and in the next generation there is death. And within a few generations, 77 times is what revenge will happen. There is a spiral of evil. Wickedness is spreading into God's creation. Within a few generations, evil is going to be avenged in an unlimited way. 70, uh, 70 times, seven times. Evil is increasing. It's unlimited. And of course, eventually we get to the story of Noah, where God says, enough. I'm going to start again. I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to wash it. I'm going to baptize it. I'm going to cleanse it because evil has increased. Jesus then is saying this to Peter and the disciples. Instead of an increase in revenge and hurt, there's to be an increase in forgiveness. This is the only way in God's kingdom that sin and evil and pain can be overcome. Jesus is saying, you know from the scriptures that evil increases and increases and increases and increases from one generation to the next. It's a new day, says Jesus. You don't just forgive seven times. There is to be unlimited forgiveness. Remember the revenge of Lamech. And God's people, Jews, would have been taught these stories. They heard the link. They know what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, instead of unlimited evil, and pain and revenge is going to be unlimited forgiveness, unlimited healing, unlimited overcoming of evil. One more background before we get to the story. If you put this in the bigger context of what Matthew is teaching, 
one of the things that Matthew wants his audience to understand, this is true of all the gospel writers, but Matthew really focuses on this. He is presenting to his audience, God's people, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is the one who the prophets would say, uh, was said was coming. So Matthew often quotes Old Testament prophecy. Um, he begins his story with the chapter one of all the genealogies. And then a bit later, he quotes some of the prophecies that talk about Jesus. Matthew is often saying, this was said. And then he quotes a prophet. And it's talking about Jesus. Well, the prophets talked about the Messiah would bring righteousness and justice. And one of the reasons why many people didn't receive Jesus is they thought that that righteousness and justice would be against Rome and that Jesus would challenge Rome. In this story, in this conversation that Jesus is having, is the Messiah bringing righteousness and justice. This story is about how wickedness and evil is overcoming the world. This is the king saying, in my kingdom, this is how we overcome evil. This is how we overcome wickedness. This is how relationships get restored. This is how pain and hurt can be overcome, not by revenge, not by people working it out themselves, not with human wisdom, but with forgiveness. And of course, this is what God was about to do by giving his son to die on the cross, to open up the way for you and I to be forgiven. If anyone could take revenge for evil, if anyone could judge your life tonight, if anyone could come into your lounge, your bedroom, your kitchen, and say, look, all the bad things you've done, I'm calling you to account, it would be God. And no one, no one could question him. No one could come to God and say, don't, God, shush, you, you, I know this person, they're quite nice, really. No, God, God is the one who could call us for account. He's the one that could take revenge, if you like, and bring justice into our lives. But he doesn't. He puts it all on his son. To overcome the evil and wickedness in our lives, he, give, he opens up the way for there to be forgiveness, for there to be a new start. So this story that we're literally about to read isn't simply a nice personal parable about forgiving a few people. It's in the context of the church, God's new community, and it's about how wickedness and evil get overcome in society. It's about how the king bring, brings justice and righteousness to broken relationships. So Peter and the disciples are now processing what Jesus has said. What? Not seven times? 70 times seven? The opposite of what Lamech did? Unlimited forgiveness? Jesus, how? What, what does, how do we do this, Jesus? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he tells them this amazing story. Let's read it, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. That amount was an impossible amount. At that time, it was bigger than the economy of the country. So Jesus is saying that this debt that the servant owes is so big, it, it, it's unforgivable. You can't, you can't just write it off. 
This is a huge amount of money. It's an impossible debt. This man cannot pay it. It's more than a small country's economy. Jesus is deliberately using that amount of money. It's vast. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. When the servant heard this, he fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. Now, it's good that he's on his knees. It's good he's asking for mercy, but he can't pay back anything. The crowd listening to Jesus be thinking, this is, a, this is ridiculous. How can the man pay this back? No one can pay this back. A whole army can pay this. A whole country can pay this. What's going on here? I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. That's stunning. He didn't even say, okay, I'll reduce it. He didn't even say, okay, we'll work for me for nothing for 10 years, and maybe I'll think about it. He cancels it. Just lets it go. An amount of money which is bigger than a small country's economy, and he's just let off. But the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. That's a small amount in comparison. A few months' wages. He grabbed him. And he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything he owed. And Jesus then says this, it should shock us. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a provocative story. It's full of exaggeration to make the point. Jesus wants to shock us. He wants to shock his disciples. He wants people to understand the radical new way that he is bringing in. And instead of endless cycle of evil, there's to be an endless cycle of forgiveness. And Jesus is grabbing uh, the crowd and his disciples' attention. And he's grabbing our attention with these huge amounts of money and this servant who's so hard-hearted that even though he's let off everything, a huge amount, he goes and chokes someone who owes him a much smaller amount and throws him in prison. <clears throat> so let's start to look at this over the next few minutes. First thing, which I find incredibly helpful when it comes to talking about people sinning against me or hurting me or offending me or causing me pain, is Jesus describes being wronged, being sinned against, experiencing personal evil as a debt. In other words, the person who hurts you, offends you, wrongs you, harms your relationship, actually owes you something. It's real. Your feelings of hurt or pain or injustice or the fact that you were wronged or the fact that that never should have happened over all those weeks or years, some of you could have experienced, 
or that horrible conversation that you had, it's real. It's something physical. It's not just feelings. It's not just simple. Oh, get over it. Don't be so sensitive. Toughen yourself up. Oh, life's like that, isn't it? Grow up or whatever sometimes people can say. And Jesus says it is a debt. The person who has hurt you, broken the relationship, gossiped, whatever, they owe you something. And in this story, what the king was owned was a huge amount, a vast amount. So firstly, Jesus is acknowledging that pain, broken relationships, abusive words, people not doing what they promised they would do, all of these things that can hurt us is real. It causes pain. It's like a debt, it's like a weight, it's like something weighing. But what Jesus is telling us to do is to be like the master in the story and to let it go. That's tough. <laughs> That's profound. That's what the master did. He didn't demand that the person pay him a small amount or work for him all those years and, and then let him off the rest. He just let it go, letting go of the debt, forgiving someone who has hurt you, harmed you, caused you pain. Forgiving them is letting go of what they owe you. Letting go, possibly, of an apology. I'll come back to that before you stop listening to me. <laughs> I'm thinking that's crazy. I can't do that. So let the words of Jesus get into our hearts. Letting go of <clears throat> the pain that they've caused. Letting go of you wanting to sort them out. Letting go of what they owe you. This is hard for us. We want them to know they've hurt us. We want them to, to make sure they don't do it again. Now, I, I'll forgive someone, but I don't want them to do it again. I'll forgive them, but I, I don't want to go through that pain again. So if I know they're not going to put me through that again, I can forgive them. We want them to learn from it. They, they need to learn. Their behavior needs to be different. They need to know they can't just speak to people like that. My kids were there. They heard it. They need to know they can't speak like that. I don't, it doesn't matter how frustrated they were or how cross they were. There's no excuse. I want them to know you can't behave like that. Or that person that was so, so horrible to me for all those years. And maybe some of that was physical. I want justice to come. I know God has forgiven me and I should forgive them. But when I see justice, because if I forgive them, doesn't it mean I'm letting go of justice? Does it mean that person is let off? Does it mean that person never gets to know what pain they've caused? All of these questions are questions I have had in my life when I've been hurt and I've been hurt. I've been hurt by people in my family. I've been hurt by people in the church. I've been hurt by other leaders. I've been a part, had the privilege of being a pastor for many years. People that I've loved and cared for who've then hurt me, said stuff. It happens. It happens in every relationship. I'm not saying this because I want your sympathy. I'm saying this because I'm provoked by Jesus's words. And I want you to know that this isn't just a teach, but there has been pain in my heart as I've tried to apply this in my life. So some of the things I'm saying about we want justice or 
We want to make sure they're not going to do it again. And we want them to understand what they did and learn from it are my questions. They're probably yours as well. And unless you're not alive anymore, <laughs> unless you haven't got any feelings, they should be yours. They should be touching on some nerves tonight. Andy, if you could guarantee that they're not going to hurt me again, I can probably find the strength to forgive them. I want protection. I can't go through that again. Jesus knows all of this. Jesus is going to hang on that cross and have nails driven through his hands, through his feet, and have the weight of sin and pain and every broken relationship and every bitter word and every bit of abuse poured on him. So Jesus knows what he's talking about. Jesus himself gets betrayed by someone who promised that they would follow him. So this isn't just a theoretical, theological teach of Jesus. He's going to experience this too. But he says forgiveness is letting go of pain, of hurt, of wanting to see justice. That's what he's teaching in this story. Everything that that servant owed the master was let go. And of course, what Jesus is saying is that's what, uh, sorry, that's what God has done for us. And unless we see that, unless we stand in that place, Jesus' words are too hard for us. Jesus' words can just be like a weight on our necks. But what Jesus is saying, of course, is the master is God our Father. He's the one who has forgiven. He's the one who, in giving his son, is going to open up a way. That means there'll need be no more sacrifice, no more death for sin. Because God had forgiven his people many times. We see that in the Old Testament. The whole sacrificial system was in order that sin could be forgiven. But now he's going to give his son so that every time you've broken a relationship, every time you have hurt someone, every time your words have harmed the person who is closest to you, every time you've not thought carefully about something and said something which has hurt someone, every time your sin has caused pain, God has forgiven you when you came to Jesus. He let it go. There's no account with God. You're not going to get to heaven and God suddenly bring out a long account of everything you did before you knew Jesus. The whole point is, is Jesus' blood on the cross covers all of that. It's gone. It's done. It's never coming up. God has let it go. He put it on his son. And that's the place that Jesus wants us to stand. That's why he's saying this servant was so wicked, because having had his huge debt let go, he goes and finds someone who owes him a small amount and throws him in prison. <clears throat> we can let this go because God has let it go for us. Let me just say some things to help us process this a little bit more. Forgiveness is not the same as being reconciled. In broken relationships, there's often <clears throat> what needs to happen is reconciliation. If people have hurt us and there's an ongoing relationship with them in our marriage or in our family or at work, of course there needs to be reconciliation. Of course there needs to be conversations that can put this right. Jesus has taught that just before this story. 
If your brother sins, you need to talk to him. But there can be no reconciliation without forgiveness. The forgiveness must come first. I've tried to reconcile with someone when I've got pain in my heart. It doesn't work because they get to see my pain. They get to see how upset I am. I've tried to pastor and care for people in marriages where there's unforgiveness. And it's really hard for reconciliation to come because people are still holding on to pain. And they're saying, look, if it reconciled, if it can be put right, then I can forgive. That's not Jesus's way. That's not the gospel. That's not God's way. That's not what he's done to us. God didn't say to us, look, mature, stop sinning. Stop saying wrong things, will you? Then I can forgive you. Grow up a bit, read your Bible more, pray harder, give more money, fast a little bit more, then I'll forgive you. No, the gospel is radical. I, you put your faith in Jesus, I let it all go. And then prayer comes and devotion to him comes. So, of course, there needs to be reconciliation. Of course, there needs to be conversations that can put things right for the future, that can bring some understanding. But there has to be forgiveness first, otherwise the reconciliation cannot come and I, I found that so helpful when I began to understand that because I was looking for the other person to understand things first I was looking for them to appreciate what they'd done first and then I'd let some forgiveness happen God said no it needs to be the other way get hold of his grace understand again what he has done for you and apply that into that relationship begin to find grace begin to let it go and then the reconciliation conversations can happen and if you need, like Jesus says in the verses before this, if you need someone to help you, then get someone to help you. Reconciliation and how we do it is a teach for another day. Because the foundation for it is this story, is forgiveness. It's the letting go, the willingness to let go of the debt. And the only way we can do that is understanding what God has let go of for us. That's the point in this story. And if we don't do it, then it's like being in that prison that Jesus talks about in this story. Bitterness, anger, pain, hurt, it eats away at us and it can destroy us. And some of you tonight, I believe God wants to set you free from that because you've held on to stuff for a long, long time because you've not known how to let go. You've not known how to forgive. The pain has been so great. And you know the truth of what Jesus is talking about here that it's like you're put in prison because that pain, that broken relationship, those words, they eat away at you and you're longing for a way for it to be put right. You're longing for that person, for justice to come to them, for God to do something with them. Meanwhile, it's like being in a prison yourself. It eats away at you. That's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> but the way out of that is to ask him to help us let go. We need his spirit. We need his strength. We need fresh revelation of what he has done for us. There's no other secrets to this. There's no other way. I have found in my life with some of the big hurts that have come from relationships, it's taken me time. I've prayed the prayer in terms of God, I, I forgive that person. Please help me. It feels more like words at the moment, but I'm praying it in faith because I really want to. And I found I've had to keep doing that over time. Sometimes I can let go quite quickly. And when I haven't been able to, it's not that I've not been willing, it's that it's taking time for the hurt to 
experience the healing from the forgiveness that I'm giving, if that makes sense. Because I keep remembering what they said. I think, oh, well, if only I could tell them, if only I could see them. Now, hang on, I've forgiven them. Father, just help me. I'm reminding myself I have forgiven them. And over time, the healing has come, if that makes sense. Sometimes it's instant. Other times it's just taken time. And it feels like I'm forgiving them again. I'm probably not, but it's just doing my mind good, my heart good to say, Father, I am. I forgive that person for what they did. So please, I don't to give the impression tonight that this is like a quick plaster that just goes on a deep wound and there, there, you're better. You've forgiven them. What a great preach. Have a great week. No, sometimes this takes time. Sometimes this takes quite a few prayers. Sometimes it can be helpful to meet with someone else and say, look, can you just help me pray through this, please? Just want someone else to encourage me and give me strength. But this is Jesus's way. And we don't get there by simply following a command. We get there from looking at what he has done for us. And of course, the other thing that we're meant to see in this story is that God is the king and God is the ultimate judge. Just as in the end, this man sinned again by demanding this other servant pay him everything. So God put him in prison. Justice will come. It's not down to us to decide what justice looks like for people who hurts us. One of the things in a story is to understand God will bring justice. So we're to go to him with that longing for justice, for that longing that something should be put right. Leave that in his hands. We can let go of that too. That's part of the forgiveness. God, this hurts. God, this never should have happened. God, this went on for months in my life. I can't just let go like that. It's going to take ages. It's to find who I am. But God, I'm, going to, I'm trying to let go. And with the justice, I'm letting go of my sense of wanting to bring justice because you're the one that will bring justice. You're the judge. You're the one that will call this to account, not me. So some aspects of the forgiveness, we're letting go into God's hands, if that makes sense. It's not just a letting go into a vacuum, disappear, goes off in a vapor. It's a giving to God, handing the pain over, the longing for justice to him. And of course, just to close this off now, and then we're going to pray. At the beginning, Jesus gets into this by saying, it's children who inherit the kingdom. They're the greatest. In this, to live like this, to put this into our lives, there's a childlike trust about this. We have to become like children and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. If I forgive, I'm trusting that wholeness will come. If I forgive, I'm believing that healing will come. If I forgive, I'm believing that you will bring righteousness into this situation. And this is how evil is overcome. This is how wickedness is overcome. The church lives like this. And Birmingham and surrounding towns, villages, your workplaces get to see there's a different way to live. This is powerful. Because all the world knows is just gossip back, just hurt back, just throw some stones back. Be bitter. Just join in slandering everyone else. We're meant to live different. The gospel means... We don't slander back, we don't gossip back, we don't throw stones back, because we know the one who has overcome sin and wickedness with love and grace and forgiveness, and that's how we live. That's why this is more than just a little story about personal relationships. 
This is a story about how justice and righteousness comes on the earth, of how evil is overcome, because with the love we've received, we're able to forgive others. Amen. We're going to pray for a few minutes now. Father, this is incredible truth. And for some of us, really, really hard. Lord, I've certainly not found it easy. Some relationships I've found easy to forgive. Other pain just feels like it's stuck for longer. But I haven't experienced some of the things which some people on the screen tonight have experienced. For me, Lord, it's been words. For some people tonight, it could have been physical abuse and pain. Holy Spirit, will you come to us with all the love and grace that is in this story and in the words of Jesus. We thank you, God, that you have forgiven us. We thank you, God, that you don't hold an account with us. We thank you, God, that our faith in Jesus means that his death on the cross means that we are made clean and made new. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And bring fresh revelation an understanding of how powerful that is to enable us to forgive others. I pray now for people who are thinking about broken relationships, are thinking about people they need to forgive, some people at work, some people in the church. Lord, I pray tonight wouldn't just be an interesting sermon, but it'd be your power coming to us. So Holy Spirit, as we sit before you now, make Jesus known to us afresh. And for those of us that are holding pain and hurt from people who have broken relationship with us, harmed us, spoken bad things to us, Holy Spirit, we want to forgive them. We want to live this out. We want this to be true that we don't stay in a prison where bitterness and pain grow, but that you lead us into freedom. And the only way to do that is for us to forgive. Help us do it, Lord. I pray even tonight, people just sitting in their lounge should be able to do this. We're going to take a step in that direction. Lord, where the pain and brokenness has been so significant and lasted such a long time. Lord, send grace and strength that there is a different way to walk through this, that there is hope, that letting go doesn't mean no justice. Letting go doesn't mean people not getting to know what they have done. Letting go doesn't mean it just goes into a vapour and disappears. When we obey you, when we trust you like a child, it gives room for you to work. It gives room for your justice to come. It gives room for you to work in people's lives. So I pray, Lord, for people who are carrying deep, deep, lasting pain. Let grace and love come to them tonight. May tonight be a step in the right direction of moving towards forgiveness. Please, Lord God. Pray for our marriages, our family, life with our children. Lord, we can hurt one another so easily. Sharp word here, not valuing someone. Lord, we talked earlier about how Valentine 
this day is an opportunity to express love to the community. Lord, we've made a covenant with one another to love one another. And I know in my marriage, a bit of taking for granted here, a sharp word there can cause pain to my wife. And Lord, I pray may our marriages and our families be places of forgiveness and places where we're able to let go quickly. Places where we get to see your kingdom come because we are soft hearted. Help us to have good reconciliation. Lord, but may there be forgiveness first. May there be a letting go first and then a rebuilding from there. So keep us walking in this, Father. Keep giving us strength. Keep helping us, please. And thank you that this is your way. And thank you again that you're only asking us to do what you have done for us. So therefore, you will help us, you will strengthen us, and you will enable us. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Stuart, back to you. Okay, thank you so much for that, Andy. That was such a fantastic message, such a timely message, such an important uh, message for us all to take on board. Um, if you know that even in that process, God's done some business with you um, on this area, forgive us. I encourage you just to tell someone, grab someone in your life group, send them a message, say, actually, you know, God's been working in my heart. It's good just to encourage one another in this as we move forward um, together. Uh, thank you again, Andy, for all you brought. Thank you, uh, Heather, for just being with us and being part of the church and our journey with love of you guys. We miss you. Uh, we're going to uh, kind of officially finish our time there. It's pretty much half past nine now. Um, and so thank you all, uh, everyone, for coming. But you are now free to go. Uh, we'll let you kind of go on your evenings. We'll unmute everybody. If you want to stay around for a couple of minutes, we can have a little chat. Uh, but we will close this down um, at 9.30. So thanks again, Andy and Heather. It's been great to see you all. And we'll see you all next Sunday um, for more Sunday Night Live.